Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast with Dr. Lance Miller. Each week, we bring you interviews with the top minds in the orthodontic profession in order to heighten your expertise, boost your motivation, and raise your skills. Join us as we help doctors take their practices and their lives to the next level. And now, here's your host, Dr. Lance Miller. Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast. I'm Dr. Lance Miller. I hope you're having a great week. I've had one of those first week back from vacation weeks. It's been a little bit hectic, a little bit busy, um, but it's good to feel like we're back in the groove here. On the plus side, we've had another nor'easter and we have another one coming. I did get a chance to ski at Stratton, which received 34 inches of snow in 24 hours, which was fantastic. So that's been the highlight of my week for sure. We're gonna make this introduction brief. We're gonna have a quick sponsorship message and then we're gonna get on with our interview. Let's do it. This episode of the Elevate Orthodontics podcast is sponsored by Mid-Atlantic Ortho. Mid-Atlantic Ortho's e-commerce platform provides a dynamic and efficient way to order, track, manage, and store inventory. Orthodontic practices require an astounding amount of gadgets when compared to other specialties. At midatlanticortho.com, you can tap into the power of automated ordering and transparent pricing for all your orthodontic supplies, including high-quality brackets, buckle tubes, arch wires, aligner care products, and more. Their smart chat connects you in real time with ortho inventory experts to answer technical questions and help you find the right products rapidly. More than just online ordering, midatlanticortho.com gives you a user-friendly way to eliminate the hassles of inventory any time of day on any device. Your customized dashboard categorizes all your products on one digital page for organized reordering. Better yet, all your past orders are right there at your fingertips so you know exactly how much and how long ago you made your last purchase. Schedule a demo today and receive an additional 10% off your first online order with promo code ELEVATE. All right, our guest today on the podcast is Mr. David Harris, the founder and CEO of Prosperdent, which is the world's largest firm specializing in the investigation of financial crimes committed against dentists. And I wanted to bring David onto the podcast because I think this is a topic that affects many of us, perhaps more of us than we'd like to admit, or perhaps more of us than we even know because we're unaware sometimes of this happening in our office. And what I think is particularly interesting about this topic is that it's something I think that we like to put out of our mind or push to the side because it's something that we don't entirely understand. I do think that as doctors, we have a certain way in which we go about interacting with our patients, interacting with each other. We have a certain code or a certain uh, standard of ethics that we adhere to. So I think it's very hard for us to put ourselves in the mind of someone who's trying to embezzle from us just because they're working with a totally different set of values, a totally different life experience. And I think that's very hard for us to understand. It's pretty easy for David Harris to understand this, our guest today, because he's been involved in so many of these cases and he really has, I think, a good insight into how this works and the mindset of people that might be interested in embezzling for us. So let me tell you a little more about David. He is a certified fraud examiner. He's a licensed private investigator. He has a graduate degree in applied mathematics. He's also a CPA. He's been interviewed on this topic of embezzlement by pretty much every leading dental publication and has written articles. He authors a dozen or more articles a year that appear in all of these publications that you receive in the mail. And he's lectured. He's lectured at universities. He's lectured at many of the conferences that you've attended. Maybe you've had the pleasure of seeing him before. David says that his favorite moment is hearing the noise that a prison cell door makes when it clicks shut on an embezzler. 
And with that, we'll welcome David Harris to the podcast. David, welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast. Thanks. Great to be here, Lance. Tell our audience a little bit about yourself. How did you end up working in this field of embezzlement and fraud investigation and and specifically dental embezzlement? Well, um, I'd like to tell you that I had some kind of business plan or, or grand scheme. I didn't. In 1989, I had left my job. I was doing investigation for a bank. And I got a call from a friend of mine who was a dentist. And he said, I think my front desk person's stealing from me and I have no one else to call. I wasn't doing anything. So I said to <laughs> him, fine, fine, I'll meet you tonight at your office after work and we'll get to the bottom of it. And I went to his office. I found out what the embezzler was doing. And in 1989, of course, most offices were not computerized. So it was uh, the fraud was kind of rudimentary by today's standards. But I found what she was doing. We uh, got her fired. The doctor promised to buy me dinner that he never did. And that was pretty much the end of it in my mind (laughs) until two weeks later. And two weeks later, I was going to my own dentist's office for an appointment and I was about to go in the office. In fact, I had my hand on his front door and I looked through the glass in the door and sitting there on the other side at his reception desk was the same woman that we got fired at the other office two weeks before. Oh, wow. Yeah, I said a slightly less uh, less printable expletive (laughs) at that point, but I ran to the nearest payphone and called the doctor and got put through to him on a pretext. I told him about the time bomb that was taken away at his front desk. Asked me in a panic voice what he should do next. And about two sentences in, he tired me. By the time I'd finished his investigation, there were two more calls and that's how I got started. Wow. Wow. And I've heard you speak before and I've heard you say that dentists are a population that seem to be embezzled from with a regular frequency. I mean, we have an audience of several thousand orthodontists tuning in. Is it probably safe to say that at least some of them are currently employing an embezzler? Yeah, rough numbers, something around 2 to 4% of your audience are being embezzled. At any given time? At any given time. And uh, a much larger number, like 50 to 60%, will be embezzled eventually. Yeah, that's that's pretty sobering statistics. What kind of dollar figures are, are you seeing in dental embezzlement schemes? Um, I'll, I'll give you an average, but it doesn't necessarily capture the range. The average across all dentistry, in other words, this is not an orthodontic-specific number, is that a thief steals about $109,000 to the point where they get caught. But the average is based on a wide range, and you've got everything from theft of toilet paper in the, in the restrooms to multi-million dollar embezzlements that go on for many years. Yeah. What I, what I will say is that orthodontists comprise a disproportionate amount of our work. Really? Really. You guys, I think, consist of about uh, 6 or 7% of the dental population as a whole. And you account for over 10% of our workload. Why do you think that is? Do you have any theories? I've struggled with that one for a long time. I, I think it, for various reasons, it's probably easier to steal from, from your group than the dental population as a whole. And I also like to think that you guys are perhaps a little more aware. In other words, it may be that there's more of it that happens. And it also may be that more of what happens gets detected. That's, that's interesting to know. It, as I say, you're a disproportionate part of our workload. Something probably some of your audience doesn't realize is that Uh, In the same way that you are specialists, we have specialists. So we have a group dedicated to investigating orthodontic embezzlement as opposed to the other kinds. And our ortho investigators all have backgrounds in orthodontic offices and understand your software and your business model as opposed to how, how a general dentist or a periodontist or a prosthodontist. Huh. That's that's I didn't I didn't realize that. 
I'm thinking of my practice here. We just hired a, a few new employees that actually just started on Monday. Okay. You know, I'm sure that when we're thinking about this concept of reducing or deterring embezzlement, that starts with trying to not bring someone into our practice that has bad intentions. What advice do you give people in terms of the hiring process, things that people can do to maybe weed out a little bit of the bad apples? Your profession is built on mutual trust. And when, for example, a general dentist refers a patient to you, communicate back with the general dentist and you say, I think that patient can benefit from treatment. The general dentist and the patient are totally entitled to believe that that recommendation is based on what's in the patient's best interest, not the orthodontist's. That's the code. And you guys have a very pure way of relating to each other. Where you get in trouble is when you believe that the rest of the world also behaves that way because it doesn't. Uh, and, and I don't want to uh, sour you about the employees you hired this week, but I'll mention a few things. The first is that <laughs> one in four United States adults has a criminal record. That's a lot. That's a lot. And if you hired four employees, do the math. The second statistic that is sobering is that somewhere in excess of 50 to 60 percent of resumes have some level of embellishment. I believe it's at least that, yeah. So you have a really bad combination here when you have somebody who's, uh, I will say, trusting doing the hiring a significant population of people out there who probably should not get a job in your office. Most of the dental population, and I'll include orthodontists in this, are very lax in their background check. Embezzlers know this. There's a chat line that I follow. It's a chat line for convicted felons. You know, they're talking about the difficulty in getting jobs. And one of them said to the group, you know, go apply to a dental office. I mean, they never check anything. And I'll personalize it here if I could. Did you happen to drug test those employees you hired? We did not. Okay, so in the cold light of day, your practice is a pretty important place in your life. It's the source of your income. It's full of confidential medical information. A fair amount of money flows through there. And I know that orthodontists in general don't prescribe, but you can. And with all that, you have no idea if you just hired a fentanyl addict. That's true. That's true. I cannot get a $12 an hour job working for FedEx delivering the crap that people buy on Amazon without a drug test, and yet I can work in your office. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that, is, that is definitely uh, definitely a sobering thought. I, I'm sorry if I'm not making your day, but... No, I'm, I'm happy to be the sacrificial lamb if it, if it maybe benefits our audience here a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> well, I'm sorry to make you into shish kebab, but <laughs> yes, uh, another thing that dentists don't do a good job of is communicating with former employers. And if I was fired at my last job two weeks ago, and I'm applying with you, and I don't want you to call my former boss because I know that she's not going to say good things about me. I can cut off that conversation with one simple statement to you. I just act like I still have the job, and I say, please don't contact my current boss, the orthodontist, because she doesn't know I'm leaving. And you will nod and say, okay. Yeah. And I just averted you having a conversation that would almost guarantee that I don't get the job. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's definitely, like I say, sobering to think about people who have these traits kind of built into them or that are coming into your practice to do you some harm or to take advantage of you. But I would imagine that that's probably a smaller percentage than people who have been there for a while and who somehow kind of develop or, or morph into someone who, who's taking advantage of you. Has that been your experience? It, it absolutely is. I, I mean, I'm glad we talked about the hiring because that's the one clear path to prevention. You know, it's the one it's the one place where you can dodge a bullet. Right. When you find out about somebody's background that convinces you not to hire. And 
I mean, we're talking about this in the context of embezzlement, but that's clearly not the only reason not to hire somebody. You know, certainly if, if somebody had been a child molester in a previous life, they have no place whatsoever in an orthodontic office. I mean, there are other, there are other issues as well that we probably shouldn't lose sight of, but that's the one clear place you have to prevent embezzlement. After that, we're really focusing on realizing that it's happening. Again, there are a lot of things that should be done that probably aren't. And I'll, I'll give you one very simple example. Every orthodontist I've ever met understands the reasons for checking the, the day-end report from their practice management software against the amount of money that goes in the bank. I mean, you all know why you do that. Some, I think, manage to, to avoid that task and some do it, but you all at least understand the reason. Right. On the other hand, relatively few of you will sit there at the computer and print the report that generates that comparison yourself. That's true. And as soon as you allow somebody else to print that report, you open the door to selective reporting. So this is where somebody hands you a report, and whenever you print a report in your software, there are parameters you set. So am I printing this for all providers or a subset of the providers in the practice? Am I printing it based on what's called entry date or procedure date? And these are the two dates that are assigned to each transaction when it's entered into your software. When somebody else sets those parameters, they can present a picture that's not an accurate one, and you have no way of knowing. So, I mean, that kind of speaks to this concept of trying to choose some technical things or some system things. Are there other things, you know, besides printing reports yourself, which deter embezzlement? I mean, I think some of this stuff is useful, but there's limitations to systems that we put in place, right? There's nothing that we can do that will, and I'll use your word, deter embezzlement. Let's look at why it happens first. People steal for two reasons, which I will summarize as need and greed. So needy people are, there's something going on in their life that means that there's more money going out of their house each month than what's coming in. And they're two months behind in the mortgage and they're about to lose the house and they're stealing because they don't want that to happen. And then you've got greedy thieves and greedy thieves are stealing to address an emotional need as opposed to a financial one. So a lot of them look at you and your peers as basically high functioning morons. <laughs> and in, in their mind, the only reason you're successful is because they keep getting you new starts and they, you know, they get the financial arrangements done and they get the money in. They look at how much money they think you make versus how much money they make. And they, they always overestimate what you make. And it all seems horribly unfair. They wait for you to come along and address that. And eventually they realize that's never going to happen. You're never going to make them your business partner. And then they steal. Right. So there's nothing you can do that will address either of those motivations to steal. That makes sense. So, so now you have the situation where these people are under a certain pressure, whether it's a financial one or an emotional one. It's going to have an outlet. We all want to analogize from other types of crime, you know, and the, the classic kind of analogy that people try to make to embezzlement is the burglar alarm in their house. If you look at that alarm, it's effective, but not because it prevents crime. In other words, if I get to your front door and see the alarm sticker, having had the plan to rob your house, I don't go home and join the church choir. I rob your neighbor. So we haven't changed the motivation. And, and you haven't changed the overall crime rate in your city. You've just redirected it to your neighbor. The difference between embezzlement and house burglary is that in burglary, it's really easy to switch victims. I just walk 20 feet down the street to your neighbor. If I work for you in an orthodontic office, the equivalent of going to your neighbors would be quitting my job, getting hired somewhere else and investing the six to eight months that I'd have to work there in order to know the systems well enough to steal. Right. That's pretty involved. Most embezzlers simply are not that patient. So 
what they have control over and ultimately what you can influence is really not who the victim is, but what the methodology is. What are the things that doctors should be aware of in, in this situation? One of the biggest challenges is that the behavior of an embezzler in a lot of ways mimics the absolute ideal employee. These folks put in a lot of hours. You know, they will come in early or stay late or come in on the weekends. Often they're a little bit reluctant to take vacation. They tend to be control freaks, you know, territorial about their duties, their workspace, their computer. And, and a lot of your peers look at this employee and see them as the, um, as the ideal employee. You know, and as I've, I've said to a, to a number of peers, when the embezzler gets you to the position where you think of, you, you think that it would be impossible to function without them, they've got you. So this is the person who will, you know, run your personal errands for you on, on their lunch hour and pick up your kids at school if you or your spouse can't do it. They, they work their way into this position where, as I say, you just can't imagine uh, life without them. You're saying, so systems aren't really helping us. There's limits to that and, and workarounds for that. Behaviors are hard to kind of judge. I mean, so does that mean it usually just ends up that the money doesn't add up and then people start saying, hey, what's going on here? I mean, what usually ends up being the breaking point in these situations? I don't want to make the picture sound quite as bleak as, as you may have a minute ago. I think there are some, some very effective things you can do. To answer your question about how embezzlement gets discovered, surprisingly, most of the time, it is what I would broadly call dumb luck that results in it being uncovered. In other words, all of the systems that you put in place and all the things that you think should help you detect embezzlement tend not to work. And a lot of times it comes out by some kind of chance occurrence. I mean, it might be a patient or the responsible party asking you a question about their account. Or it might be, as I saw in one case, that the embezzler broke her leg skiing and the person who filled in for her went to the doctor and said, there's something strange going on here because I've gotten three anomalous phone calls this morning. One of the myths about embezzlement is that orthodontists tend to believe that if it was happening, their CPA would find it. Yeah. The American Dental Association did a study 10 years ago. One of the questions that they asked to embezzlement victims was, what prompted the discovery? The answer that my accountant found it was given 4% of the time. Yeah, that's not particularly encouraging. It, well, but, but I guess the CPAs are limited in the information that we provide them, right? That's right. Their, their window into your practice is a bit of a narrow one. Most embezzlement is concealed inside the practice management software. Right. To, to your CPA, that's a complete black box. I mean, they will take summary totals out of it and use those as kind of the, the starting point for their process. But what happens above that bottom line is something they just can't, can't really address. And even if you had a CPA with some who deals with a lot of dentists, your own situation is a little bit different. To enunciate it, most of the dental population that CPAs deal with have a fairly close relationship between when they earn the money and when they get paid. Yeah. And you guys have this much more abstract kind of relationship where you have a payment stream and a treatment stream, and hopefully they, they converge more or less around the time of debanding. It's a little bit abstract. Sure. To put a point on it, you have some orthodontists who get paid for all their cases up front. So they take in money in 2017 for treatment that they're going to do in 2018 and 2019. Yeah. That is so contrary to what the accountants are used to seeing that it, it means that even if there was something anomalous in what they see, they may not realize it. So is most of the embezzlement you're seeing dealing with money coming into the practice or is it sometimes with, with money going out? Where does that kind of fall on the spectrum? 
We certainly see both, but the majority is in what we call skimming, which means stealing revenue. On the outflow side, it tends to show up in a couple of places. I mean, one is tampering with payroll. Another is some kind of bonus manipulation. And we dealt with a matter a few years ago where a large ortho office had a a bonus plan in place. And the, the way the bonus was calculated was that it was based on the number of starts in this calendar year compared with the number of starts in the previous calendar year. So what happened was that the staff realized in about November that they were going to make the bonus. The more starts they got in before January 1st, the bigger the bonus got. So what they did was they took all the starts that were going to happen in January of the following year and they put them into the software in December. These patients were not treated. They were just put in the books. The contracts were entered into the practice management software. In this case, it had the effect of inflating the bonus by about $60,000. Wow. And I mean, you can you can do the math and say, all right, well, that would make it tougher for them to make the bonus next year. And that's probably true. But uh, in the meantime, they, they took 60,000 extra dollars out of the out of the owner's pockets. Uh, so that's the outflow stealing or, you know, sometimes people will, if they have access to the, the practice credit card, you know, they'll charge their own stuff through it or something like that. But the vast majority of embezzlement comes from money coming in from patients or insurance companies. One thing that always surprises audiences is when I talk about how easy it is for a third party to cash your checks. And it's, it's back to what I said about orthodontists believing that people play by the rules. But if I set out to circumvent those rules, I can very easily cash a, cash a check payable to Dr. Lance Miller. And, and just deposit into any, a number of different accounts. Exactly. Uh, and for that matter, it's not that hard for me to hijack a credit card payment or even what's called an ACH deposit, automated clearinghouse. In other words, one that shows up automatically in your bank account. So when I talk to orthodontists as a group about embezzlement, I know what they're picturing is the theft of cash. That certainly happens, but in 2018, embezzlers have moved well beyond stealing the, you know, $150 cash payments that come in on a, you know, from monthly orthodontic treatment. In our practice, we don't even have that much cash. I mean, honestly, compared to other sources of income. That's right. And, and therefore, it's a limiting factor. Right. The adaptation of the embezzlement community is, well, we need to steal other things. So they do. So you, you said earlier that I kind of painted too bleak of a picture, perhaps. What is someone to do? What are, what are the things that people should kind of be looking at on an ongoing basis in their practice? Um, the first thing is that I think the best investment of time, the, the, the highest return relative to the time you invest in this problem is to look at what's called the entry log for your alarm system. The alarm company that monitors your office each month can send you a file. And it will tell you when people came in your office and when they left. Take five minutes each month and see if anybody's coming in at weird times, if there are unexplained entrances or exits from your people. I guess what, what is implied here and should be stated is that each person in your office needs their own unique code for the alarm. You know, the concept of the Unicode that everybody has is a really dumb idea. Even if you have the Unicode, you will see that somebody came in my office at two o'clock on Saturday afternoon. That will prompt investigation. When thieves steal, they want to do some of their work when they're alone, partly because it takes concentration, partly because they don't want you poking your head into their workspace and saying, oh, Susie, what are you doing? Yeah. So that alone time is able to be monitored. We should do that. Second thing, as I said, print the key reports yourself. Third thing is to, I mean, every, every orthodontist looks at their receivables listing sooner or later because they're, they're wondering which patients are going to be in financial trouble when it comes time to deband. A lot of time, orthodontic software tracks 
different software gives it different names, but essentially a current balance and a long-term balance. Right. I find a lot of orthodontists don't necessarily understand the difference between the two or what will what will prompt movement between them, and they kind of ignore that part, and they just look at the total balance and sort of mentally divide it by the, uh, the number of months of treatment left. If somebody's embezzling, some quirky things will start to happen there. And I've seen things, for example, like a negative current balance, which shouldn't be possible. Right. You need to spend a little bit of time at that. And what, what I encourage people to do is to pull out last month's receivables report and sit it beside this month's when you look at them and make sure that people's balances are working down properly. Again, if somebody's stealing, there, there are often weird things happening there. One of the classics is that what should be a current receivable ends up becoming a long-term receivable. If you look at last month versus this month, that kind of stuff tends to stand out. Sure, sure. Another one to look at is lab bills for retainers that you bought against contracts. One of the easiest steals in ortho is when somebody breaks a retainer. Yeah, and we have that replacement charge. That's right, because that one is outside of the flow of contracts. In other words, the the contracts that are set up do not contemplate a broken retainer. True. So if you pay the lab for one, Somebody should be paying you for one. Mm-hmm. So that hopefully that charge gets entered properly. That's right. If you can get the monthly summary from the lab, you can make sure of that. Right. So there are some things to, to look at, and we talked about hiring already. I'll add one more tool to people's toolbox. We have something called an embezzlement risk assessment questionnaire. And this is something that originally we were using internally, and then we, we decided eventually to make available to dentists and and orthodontists. And it's not a time-consuming questionnaire at all. It's 40 questions that somebody completes online. And at the end of it, they get sent a score and the score tells them what the probability that they're being embezzled is. And they're yes-no kind of questions. I mean, it's it's probably at most a a 15-minute exercise. It's something that we sell on our website, but what I was going to suggest is that we make it available for, for a period of time for your audience at no charge. That'd be fantastic. I'm sure that'd be much appreciated. And I'm assuming the best way to handle this is that I email you a link to it and you can put it in the in the header for Absolutely. It. We'll put it in the show notes and we'll put it in our Facebook group as well. We'll post the link. That's perfect. So um, allowing a little bit of time, maybe I, I will keep this open until the end of April for your audience. That would be fantastic. That's Thank you very much. That sounds great. Let me ask you maybe a little different question. We have a lot of orthodontists in this group that have purchased a practice. They're coming into an office. How do you handle that situation where maybe the staff have been there much longer than you? You're unsure how to, you know, step on people's toes. You know, you don't quite understand the systems and you don't want to come across as being the draconian or super intense young doctor. What advice would you have for someone in that sort of situation? The first advice I have is that their attorney needs to protect them properly in the purchase. I would want, for example, the seller of the practice to make what's called a warranty that he or she is not aware of any embezzlement activity. What happens sometimes is they have suspicions or knowledge about it, and they just keep their mouth shut because they don't want to interfere with the sale. Right. And now the buyer ends up acquiring something that if they knew everything that the seller knew, they wouldn't buy. They, they wouldn't buy on that basis. Honestly, buying an ortho practice is more complicated than I think a lot of your peers recognize. And you see other situations where people get burned as well. And go back to the example that I gave a few minutes ago about the orthodontist who gets prepaid for most treatments. Yeah. When you buy that practice, you're taking over an obligation without necessarily the cash flow to go with it. 
Yeah, that definitely that contracts receivable or however you want to define that, that balance, you know, in relationship to how many active patients are still there. I think that's definitely important to look at in an ortho purchase. It is. And, and that's not embezzlement in a direct sense, but it's a, uh, you know, there's a, there's a knowledge gap between the seller and the buyer and it gets exploited to the seller's advantage. You, you need proper protection from an attorney who understands this exact kind of transaction. And, and let's start there. We want to understand what financial policies have been in place. We want assurance that they've been followed. We want to know what kind of discounting practices have been engaged in by the previous orthodontist. And as I said before, we certainly want mandatory disclosure of any kind of concern or suspicion about embezzlement. So start there. How about after the sale? After the sale, now it gets a little bit tougher. And as you say, you're in the position of, of being probably younger than, than most of the staff and them having much of the knowledge and maybe a little bit of resentment. I mean, I, I see very few orthodontists who buy a practice with the objective of doing as well as the last owner. I mean, everybody who buys intends to increase the number. It starts by 30 or 40%. So, you know, they, they, they want to see the tempo in the office increase and the staff feel that and maybe it causes some resentment or, you know, maybe the staff feel some allegiance to the former owner and don't feel it to the new owner. And there can certainly be some pressure to embezzle. So what do you do? Well, a couple of things. One is to do the things I talked about with monitoring, like print the reports yourself and see if anybody's coming and going at weird times. And the other thing probably is to review the procedures in place in the office and decide which of them you want to keep and which you don't. In a lot of cases, the new orthodontist probably needs some help with that. It's a service that we offer, and there are certainly other choices as well. I mean, there, there are lots of good orthodontic consultants out there who are quite capable of helping a young orthodontist ensure that an office is set up the way that he or she wants it to be. Pretend someone's listening to this podcast, you know, they're in the car or on the treadmill or whatever, and they're asking themselves, is this happening to me? Or maybe they think it is happening. What are kind of the next steps that someone should take in that situation? If they have a concern about some situation in their office, or maybe if they just are wondering, you know, is there something I should do kind of preemptively or proactively to help with it? Sure. The biggest no-no in any of those situations is for the orthodontist to do something that telegraphs concerns to the staff. If I'm working for you, Lance, and I'm stealing from you, and I think I'm about to get caught, I may end up doing something really desperate, kind of the equivalent of the Hail Mary pass in football, right? which might include things like burning down your office. <laughs> yeah, destroying all the records. Destroying all the records. In one spectacular case, murdering the dentist. Oh, really? Yeah. This was in, in Maryland um, about 10 years ago, and somebody was embezzling from General Dentist and thought she was about to get caught. So she came into his office one night when she knew he'd be there by himself and brought her cousin with her and the two of them murdered the doctor. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So so keep your suspicions to yourself. Yes. And, you know, confronting the suspect is not a good idea. Asking them for a whole bunch of reports that you've never asked for before and then going in your private office and closing the door and calling your CPA is not a good idea. What happens next needs to be completely invisible to staff. Certainly when, when we do our work, it is oriented and uh, we've spent a lot of time making sure that this is flawless. It's oriented so that there's no possible way that your staff will know that we're taking a look at your practice. And that's the, that's the first major consideration. Sure. That makes sense. Instead of, 
tipping them off or calling, I don't know, the police or your accountant to come in and, and, and ask for stuff. And yeah, it needs to be done in a way that they can't realize that it's going on. And let's look at both scenarios. If somebody isn't stealing and what you're seeing is really something else and you're, you're kind of misreading the tea leaves, then you would never want your staff to know that for a few minutes you doubted their loyalty. Right. And on the other hand, if something is going on, then you want to spring the trap on them without them seeing it coming. So in either case, it needs to be done stealthily. That takes some expertise. You know, beyond that, I would encourage your listeners to call an expert. And by that, I mean a real expert and not, you know, their cousin who works for the the local sheriff's department or their CPA or the trainer for their practice management software or something like that. This is not something, in my opinion, and certainly I have a financial interest in what I'm saying here, but it's not something, in my opinion, that should be in the hands of dabblers. Especially with the software concerns and other things that you mentioned, that it can be a pretty technical endeavor. It's a very technical endeavor. I mean, sometimes somebody will have suspicion or maybe even they've, they've found it and they call the police. What the police do is, first of all, they, they send a couple of men or women in uniform to the practice. And, you know, if you had any hope of keeping this stealthy, it, it vanishes when two individuals carrying firearms and loud radios come into your practice. The next thing that the police point out is, you know what, it's not actually our job to tell you what was stolen. You have to figure that out, and then we will ensure that the law is applied. You know, it's not, it's not our place to comb through your records and tell you what you lost. I think, you know, it's it's definitely a, a situation that I, it's something that we hope that we don't have to face, but it sounds like many of us will. So I, I appreciate you taking some time to give us a little bit of a perspective, put us in the mindset, maybe for some listeners who are thinking about this, reconsider some of their practices or, or some of the people that they have in their employ. David, do you have any kind of final thoughts or, or a summary you'd like to leave with our listeners? I do. And again, you can get the idea quickly that this problem is hopeless and that it's going to happen to you sooner or later and there's not much you can do about it. And I I categorically disagree with that. At the same time, I think that people in your profession to deal with this problem effectively need to do something that doesn't come naturally to them. That's to become somewhat skeptical about the agendas and verbalizations of their staff. Uh, Unfortunately, there, there are bad people out there. There are people out there with hidden agendas and ignoring that is, is, asking for trouble. Yeah, I think we are people that that tend to be trusting. We like to feel like we can count on our team, but I think, you know, we have to keep our eyes open as well. In the words of former uh, president of the United States, trust, but verify. That's one of my favorite quotes. I love that Ronald Reagan nuclear arms reduction quote. Yes. Great. Well, David, if people want to get a hold of you or learn more about your company, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, our website is dentalembezzlement.com. Our phone number is 888- 3982327 if anybody wants to communicate by email they're welcome to do that and my personal email is david at dentalembezzlement.com great well thanks again david this has been really eye opening and informative and i'm sure it's going to be useful to our audience so thank you again for your time my pleasure lance thank you all right guys i hope you learned a lot from that interview it was a fantastic experience for me to be able to talk with david i want to thank him for coming on the podcast you can check out his company prosperident at prosperident.com i also want to give a special thanks to the sponsor of today's episode mid-atlantic orthodontics check them out at midatlanticortho.com have a great week keep smiling we'll see you back next time 
Thank you for listening to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast. For more episodes, subscribe on iTunes or visit our website at elevateorthopodcast.com. Tune in next week for another great episode. 